0: This is Podco Media Networks.
1: It's the Demystifying Data Podcast with Chris Clegg, where we deconstruct the tools and techniques marketers need to make data more actionable. Here's Chris. Hello, welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Demystifying Data. I'm your host, Chris Clegg, and today's episode is part one of a two-part series that relates to a conversation I had with David Paul on CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. Now, David is the co-founder and CEO of Engageus. He's also the producer and host of the Engageus podcast. He also is the Insights Association Audible Insights Podcaster. And we had a wonderful conversation and, and was able to really exchange ideas and talk about what is CES all about and what did we get from it as folks that are both in the market research industry. And we talked about the research conference that happens just before CES starts We talked about the last decade of tech and the next decade of tech, 5G, the impossible burger flying cars, and how a toothbrush is going to change the world is all part of the conversation. So have a listen. I think you're going to enjoy it.
0: hey, Chris, it's good to be talking with you. We're both here at CES and we came in a day early for the Research Summit. I love it. We're lucky that they do it. I know. Have
1: you been to the Research Summit? I was at the Research Summit without knowing I was there a couple years ago because I came in early because the flights were cheaper and I was wandering around and I didn't really appreciate what was happening. But, you know, it's the Insights Association creating this tour, this guided approach that kind of helped me organize CES and make the experience better. This year, I knew what I was doing. This year, I was here with a purpose and saw it on purpose.
0: Actually, I've been here two times prior, but this time, uh, the organization of what the Insights Association brought to us really, really helped because they laid out the schedule for day one and the research summit. And then even today, with Art Flanagan going around to the Las Vegas Convention Center, and tomorrow we'll hit Sands, And they've done a really good job of organizing it. And even for those of us who've been here before, adding a new spin to it, adding value for us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I loved the fact that he was jumping around the floor, finding things that were cool or interesting or relevant, and then sending out text messages saying, hey, make sure you don't miss this, check out that, because there's so much going on here. Any kind of direction is worthwhile, and that was certainly worth it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, anyone listening here I think is going to be really curious about what we learned in the research summit specifically. What were some of your big takeaways?
1: You know, I really enjoyed the presentation yesterday, which kind of opened it up as, you know, where is consumer tech and what's going on with consumer tech? And they summarized it as 20 years of consumer tech with what's happened over the last 10 years and what's happening over the next 10 years. And they talked about the last 10 years being focused on connecting our devices or the objects that we engage and the next 10 years about integrating intelligence into those connections, and what that means at a macro level, why it's possible, how the rollout of 5G makes that even conceivable, that in the next 10 years, we're going to start to really see and appreciate the impact of that and what that's going to mean to farming technology, to global health, to the production of food, all the way down to you know how I engage my light bulbs in my home and how my idea of connected home is going to move to the next level. And that's, yeah. I'm all in, man. That's exciting. Yeah, no, I
0: thought that session was really interesting, too. It was hosted by Steve Koenig, who's the VP of research for the Consumer Technology Association, which puts on CES. His points about 5G were really interesting. You know, that's a topic that's on everybody's mind. And the fact that he said that while it's definitely going to become a reality this year, it's the first network that's really being driven by the enterprise. And he did mention farming specifically, which I thought was really interesting about how that kind of bandwidth and that kind of speed and capability is going to allow farmers to do things that they've never been able to do before.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's about efficiency and running a smarter business, but it's about the smarter production of food. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a number of global challenges that are coming from a variety of sources and our ability to efficiently produce food is becoming more and more important. And, and the ways in which and the resources available to the farmer because of 5G it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's good stuff. Speaking of food, I'll go off on a tangent and then we'll come back to the
0: research summit. I tasted my first impossible burger. <laughs> I've had them before today. Yeah. Have you had them before? Yeah, yeah. So I'd never had one. Okay. Um, not for any particular reason, just never had the opportunity. Yeah. And they're here, Impossible. Yeah. They have and they did a partnership with White Castle. So they had little tiny White Castle okay. impossible okay. burgers, tried it for the first time. And I was really surprised by just yeah. you know how good it was. Yeah. I mean, it's either for those who can't eat beef or choose to not eat it. I think it's a real alternative. And even for someone like me who eats plenty of meat for health reasons, if I wanted to curb that and not give up some of the things that I like the most, like a, like a cheeseburger,
1: I think it's a viable alternative. I've had it before. I didn't have it here. They nailed that for sure. I heard there's a, a pork product they're coming out with also. Not pork, but a pork substitute. Did you taste that or No,
0: they didn't that? have that. Is yeah. that gonna be to like substitute bacon or sausage, stuff like that? I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, they weren't showing that. We'll else, see what they come up with. Anyway. It's uh, it's good stuff. All right, so back to the research summit. Another interesting thing Steve talked about was, of course, streaming. All the different streaming services that are out today. Yeah. yeah. I think tomorrow we're going to be able to hear from Quibi, which is a new streaming service that's going to come out later this
1: year that's yeah. supposed to
0: be all about bite-sized pieces of content. Yeah. Five, 10, maybe 15 minutes. Yeah,
1: and, and that, that bite-sized pieces of content are episodic. They're creating episodes, uh, serial TV, but in very small chunks.
0: Yeah, And considering the people who are behind it, Jeffrey Katzenberg and others, you have to think they know how to tell stories. So I'm kind of fascinated to see what they can do with it. But then I've heard other people speculating, especially this week, that for everyone who's cord cutting and getting rid of their cable services and and signing up for the lower cost individual streaming services, how long is it going to be before we're right back up to what we paid for cable by paying for all of the different streaming services that we want?
1: Yeah, I might be there. I mean, the household subscribes to Sony View and that runs us 60 bucks a month. That's actually going out of business, which is interesting. Yeah. But that's 60 bucks a month plus yeah, Hulu, Netflix, HBO, Amazon, Amazon Prime is kind of the best offer. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty cheap, but but yeah, those all add up to the 100 bucks I was spending before. Yeah. And then the last thing
0: Steve talked about at the research summit was the notion of flying cars. These electric unmanned vehicles that will be able to take off and land on a dime and transport people around. Yeah, Commercially, probably more than consumer-based, but yeah. it seems like we're
1: inching closer and closer to reality. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I heard a discussion around that that was very assertive about the future's coming and, the, and that that's coming because the engineers and the, the technology companies that are building them, they learned early on from the problems with the ride-sharing deployments that you need to partner with the cities early on from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And by partnering from the beginning, they were able to work through regulatory issues much more efficiently than ride-sharing was over the last however many years. And so that was a really interesting argument around why it's going to work and why we're going to see it. And then somebody else countered that with, it's not going to come around, it's not feasible, and that you may see an increase in the accessibility of helicopter-like services, but it's not going to replace the ground cars simply because of the physics around air displacement and noise and uh, what it takes physically to launch and return an aerial vehicle, and that those will become barriers of reality that we won't overcome, and it won't be something that we see in the future. So it, I heard really good arguments around both realities being possible, and yeah. and uh, we'll see.
0: Well, there's also just organizing the chaos up there. The more vehicles you have up in the air, it's not like the Jetsons where everything miraculously goes in a straight line. Yeah, yeah. So. I think that's also going to be a major hurdle is just how to organize that as more and more vehicles take to the sky. Totally, totally. Yeah. You were telling me before we started recording about the p session yeah. that you made too that I wasn't able to hear about. And uh, you were really impressed with stories that they were telling around their Oral-B brand. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so Oral-B, they have a mission as a company to improve oral hygiene. And I was surprised by some of the stats they put out there around the level to which oral hygiene is a problem for people around the world. And, and even very close to home. So here in the States, they said that 25% of us are going to lose all of our teeth by the time we're 65 years old, which I was found shocking. And they described that as not only a health issue because the, losing your teeth is the symptom of other problems. They also talked about the idea that people equate someone missing teeth with their IQ and how that's a obviously an unfair assessment, but the impact to the person who's dealing with tooth loss, it's significant. It it has a a very immediate effect on their quality of life socially and also with their careers. It's an issue on multiple fronts. Uh, They also described that in the UK, they said that the most common hospital admittance for kids the ages of six to 11 is dental extraction which I also found pretty fascinating. So I guess oral health is an issue. And they said, we don't brush our teeth right. They said the common, typical consumer brushes their teeth for 45 seconds once a day. And dentists say that we need to be brushing twice a day for two minutes. Now, I can honestly say that I've been brushing twice a day for at least... I would say greater than a minute, if not two minutes. But I got an electronic toothbrush for the first time earlier last year, Quip toothbrush, mm-hmm. and I love it. And it kind of trains me to, to do it for the full two minutes a little bit more. And Oral-B is coming out with a toothbrush that's also focused on training consumers to have better oral hygiene. But it's, it's taking things much further than what Quip was doing. They're looking at um, the frequency certainly and the duration, but they're also looking at the pressure and coverage. So I guess there's a certain ideal pressure and there's a certain coverage around the mouth. There's some real-time feedback while you're brushing your teeth and how you're doing in those areas. And that's all being synced to your app and it's recording over time what you're doing. It's keeping a log of your hygiene practices. And there's a couple cool things that came out of it. One thing was the implications to data and the market research that we're used to when it comes to shopper marketing, because all product design is solving problems. And so as market researchers, we're focused on identifying what those problems are and then using that to advise the engineers and creatives to build products that solve it. And... uh, the thing that they're getting, P G's getting now from this data logging around frequency pressure, coverage and duration, is a lot of the stuff that you used to get through the diaries and the focus groups and people coming into a lab and brushing their teeth and letting that be recorded. And then you had a data scientist or a market researcher would code that observation and that would be analyzed and trends would be spotted, and that would affect product features. And, and a lot of that is now automated in real time because of the way this device is recording the activity. The thing that I thought was really cool, they had mentioned that they still need the IDIs. They still need to be able to understand with an in-depth interviews why people are behaving in a certain way. So if their practices don't align with the theories that the features were built based on, they don't have an answer as why. And so this market research still plays a role, but a lot of the instrument bias or interviewer bias or certainly the expense, a lot of that's been streamlined with the application of these smart devices. And one thing that really struck me was they have a little screen on the toothbrush that if you do it all right, if you get the pressure right and you're hanging there for two minutes— And you got the coverage complete. They identified like 12 or 16 zones in the mouth that you need to be focused on. If you get all that right, you get a smiley face, right? (laughs) And my first reaction to that was that was stupid, right? Isn't that kind of representative of the silliness of tech? But then the presenter mentioned that people don't change behaviors because of what they know. They change behaviors because of how they feel. And by anthropomorphizing the toothbrush, they were able to present that very simple warming validation that acknowledges the effort put forth to take care of yourself. And that creates this very simple, quick, subtle dynamic of validation that is enough to change behavior. And if that's changing behavior, like the one-fourth of us that are going to lose our teeth or the six to 11-year-olds that are in the hospital for dental extractions, if that's the result of that, then that doesn't seem so silly. That seems kind of cool. That all kind of struck me. And I really found that as a micro example of how tech can improve life to be exciting.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And there's a lot of behavioral science at play. Yeah in that whole notion of feedback. And it reminds me of another product on the market. It's called Shapa, and it's a scale that was developed by Dan Ariely, a behavioral science professor from Duke University. He wrote the book, Predictably Irrational. You've probably seen that. But what's unique about that scale is that there's no screen on it, and it doesn't give you any numbers at all. It takes your 10-day average weight, and then it represents to you in colors how you're doing. Huh. So if you're holding steady, you're green. And if you start to gain a little bit, you go light gray and then eventually you may go dark gray or you end up going like teal blue and then you go blue. But with each of those color changes, you're getting encouraging messaging along with it, along with some practical advice about, you know, you might be headed in the wrong direction. Here are some things that you could do to make some positive change. Let's get you back in the green zone. Yeah. So there's no focus on numbers. There's no focus on shame. And I think that's something right along with that smiley face. It's like Anyone who brushes their teeth with that toothbrush, no matter how jaded they are, they're going to look at that screen when they're done, and they're going to see if they got a yeah. smiley face or not.
1: Yeah, and that's what they said. They said all the features that this thing provides, and and I guess if you got the pressure right, it's going to give you a white color around the the rim of the toothbrush, and if your pressure too hard. It's like an orange, and if it's just right, it's green. Something like that. And all these different features around the the app, and and they seemed like they nailed a lot of stuff, and people loved it. They thought it was great. And they talked about those features being very applicable, but they said in their testing, the most common thing that was brought up was a smiley face. That was the most frequent thing that that consumers had mentioned in their testing that they liked about the toothbrush. And it was about seeking, I hate to say it this way, it's about seeking the toothbrush's approval. (laughs) <laughs> it was about getting that validation, the smiley like the the effort of doing it right so that it would give you that feedback. Yeah, which is pure psychological play. Yeah, pure, pure. But uh, you know, it's hard to change behavior. I mean, in marketing, we talk about in order for people to do things differently, it's got to be easy, it's got to be cool, and it's got to be fun. And this is a similar kind of conversation around those same things, and it's not easy. And if this is stuff that's going to help us live healthier and improve our lives and truly see an evolution of our quality of life because of technology, why would you not embrace that?
0: Well, and that's also what's gratifying about the work that we do, because most people wouldn't think about a toothbrush beyond Oral care, keeping your teeth clean, not getting cavities, not losing your teeth. But then there's that whole layer beyond that that you just talked about where the social impact of your life kicks in when you start losing teeth or when your teeth start to get yellow and nasty looking. And that has a whole quality of life impact. Yeah. that can unfairly affect your ability to earn an income and your ability to have social status.
1: And most people don't think about that when they think about Toothbrushes. Yeah, totally, totally. And for a company like P&G and the resources they represent, for them to play a role in addressing and managing something that is an opportunity for good, kudos to them. Yeah. You know, Kudos to them. Yeah. Good stuff. I'm really enjoying this conversation with David, and I look forward to bringing you part two next week. You know, next week, we're going to talk about Delta Airlines and all the stuff they're doing around technology, the future of TV and sound, and what we saw with flexible screens and heads-up displays in cars. And we finished the conversation talking about data science and market researcher and why a market researcher should be at CES. So hopefully you're a subscriber so you don't miss next week's episode. If you're not a subscriber, please do so now. And I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again real soon. Tune in next time as Chris Clegg continues demystifying data. Meantime, head over to demystifyingdata.co to learn more.